0: Has God called you to lead? Whether you've been a leader for years and are looking for new strategies, tools, and encouragement, or you want to explore your call to leadership, Lifeway Women offers training events that equip you to carry out your mission. We offer one day and three day leadership training in a variety of cities throughout the US and online. We'd love to have you join us this year. Learn more at lifeway.com forward slash women's events. Hello, and welcome to The Mark Podcast. I am Elizabeth Hyndman, and I am here with my co-host, Kelly King. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Elizabeth. Let's tell our audience a little bit about what's happening this summer. I know. It is so exciting. So we have been, for the past few summers, we have been blessed and able to release to y'all the audio teaching from some of our Bible studies. And we are so excited because this summer, we are bringing to you, to your ears, the audio sessions of How Much More, a Bible study by Lisa Harper. And so tell us a little bit more about how this is all gonna work, Kelly. Absolutely. So on Mondays, we'll release one new audio teaching session each week. And we're going to leave all of the episodes up until the end of August, so August 31st. So if you get a couple weeks behind or maybe you're on vacation, we want to make sure that you're able to catch up and do that. So what we want you to do is we want you to go to LifeWay.com slash how much more. And we really want you to purchase the Bible study book because it's going to help you really learn more than just listening to the audio, but work alongside of it with the study book. And that link is going to be in the show notes as well. And we just know that y'all are going to be so blessed by this study. And so we're excited to get to bring it to you. So here is Lisa Harper.
1: Y'all, I can hardly believe it's the sixth session of how much more. I just, I have so loved taking this journey with y'all. You know, this is the last time I get to be with y'all because we filmed session seven. Session seven's kind of a tongue twister. We filmed that one direct to camera. And so I don't get to have y'all with me. So it's gonna be like cold, Krispy creams. Like it's just. Like, who wants that? I'm going to miss y'all so much. It has been just such a joy to peruse God's Word together, to recognize what Claudia said before we started filming, that how much more, it's not a question, it's a statement. He loves us so much more than most of us dare to dream, even pray. And so um, let's pray for ourselves tonight. That this last night we get to be together as a sisterhood, as, as a family. Let's just pray that, um, that he, he brings that truth with an exclamation point through his Holy Spirit. Jesus, we confess again as your daughters we can't understand these promises in the Bible apart from your Holy Spirit. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you that you allow us to understand you. Thank you that you communicate in a way that somehow with our mere minds we can actually glimpse the gospel, that we can begin to understand that a perfect holy God would condescend into a form of a man and live a perfect life and then willingly stretch out your arms on Calvary so that we could be cleansed and reconciled into a right relationship with Father God. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you that through your spirit you've allowed us to, at some small human level, understand that. So um, if it pleases you, God, show us more tonight. Re-gospel us tonight. We pray that you would just discombobulate in the best way our hearts and our minds with the miracle of the gospel yet again, Jesus And we ask that you do this for your glory. Amen and amen. Amen. Okay, because I feel like y'all are at least first cousins, maybe maybe a little closer after taking this journey together, I, I'm going to tell you a story that, that might be just a, a, a titch more vulnerable than uh, the Catboy story. And so, so I need you to kind of hang on to your seats because I don't usually tell the story because it's um, not very flattering. I had gone to a women's conference out west. I won't tell you where it is because you might have cousins out there, but this conference that I got to attend. These women were just, they were just, um, a friend of mine is a Christian comedian. He says some Christians need to send missionaries to their face. And and that was this group of women that were just grumpy. You know, have you ever been around believers who it's like they don't believe how good God is because they think somehow grouchy is like a spiritual gift? And that's what these women were like. Right? I mean, it, it was just like plowing cement all weekend. And so when the conference was over, I had almost a day before my flight left from there to come back to Nashville. And I thought, you know, I need some kind of encouragement because I've been with these hateful Christians for, you know, almost a weekend. And I thought, I just need something encouraging. And so um, they didn't have a Chick-fil-A in this particular town. And so I remembered that a friend told me that there was a spa near where this conference had taken place. And she said that this spa had like these world-class natural hot springs. And she said, these hot springs are hand-hewn out of granite. Like they're not fiberglass. And she said, the water comes up from the earth. It's not piped in, it's thermodynamically heated water. And she said, Lisa, if you will go to where these hot springs are, she said, it'll almost change your life. I mean, it's just unstinkin' believable because she said the sun goes by, behind the mountains where this, this is in the, well, I can't tell y'all where it is because you know where the grumpy Christians are. But it's, <laughs> it, This mountain range is called the Sangre de Cristo Mountains because there's so much red ore in the mountain range that when the sun filters through, it it looks like blood. So for those of y'all who speak Spanish, it's the blood of Christ, mountain range, why things are so cool. But she said the sun goes behind those mountains early in the afternoon. So she said when, when kind of it filters through, it covers that whole area with like this rosy hue. She said it's just spectacular. And I thought I'll go there just to be encouraged. I love going outside and seeing God's creation. That's just, that's my favorite sanctuary. So as I'm driving to the spa thinking that, you know, I'll get some encouragement that I need, um, I realized that I hadn't brought a bathing suit with me. And I thought, well, I won't be able to actually get in to this natural hot spring, but maybe I can just go back and see it. So I walk into the reception area, it's this real she-she spa, and I go up to the girl who's at the counter and I explain to her, you know, I'd really love to see your natural hot springs, but I didn't bring a bathing suit and so could I just pay a fee or something and go back there and see them? And she said, oh, no worries, we actually encourage nudity here at Fancy Schmancy Spa. And I was like, huh, um, That you know, that's probably not gonna work for me. And, so i said well you know no thank you i said i'd i'd just love to She's go back and see it if I could, fully dressed. And she said, well, we have another option. And she reached behind the counter and she pulled out this wire basket. Those of y'all who are around my age, I'm 57. Do you remember in PE when we had those wire? Claudia, you remember those wire baskets in PE? And it looked like one of those, like a wire basket you put in your locker. She pulls it out from underneath the counter and it is filled with wet bathing suits. And she said, we have a rental suit program here. And I was like, oh no, you didn't. That is nasty town. Um, but then sometimes my mind runs ahead of my reason. And I thought, you know, she told me it was thermodynamically heated water, which means it's almost boiling, which means it would cook out any bacteria in those bathing suits. And those women are probably not gonna invite me back here because my, my messages went over like a lead balloon. So this is probably my last chance to see this like natural wonder. And so before I could stop myself, I'm rooting around in that bin for a bathing suit. And I already told y'all I grew up half Baptist, so I'm very modest. And so I fish around, I find this one piece, huge black one piece that was like sewn by the Amish. And I thought, well, this is good because you'll know, be appropriate and I can be modest. And there was just one one weird thing about that bathing suit, I don't really know how to explain this, but the bodice of the suit, it's like it was made with metal, almost like Wonder Woman's breastplate. It's just very, very severe, the, the bodice. And I thought, well, that's, you yeah, know, that's probably bonus too. And so I take this bathing suit and I go back to the locker room and I change into this rental bathing suit. And I go out to this natural hot spring and y'all, it is spectacular. It really has been somehow carved out of granite. The granite kind of had this pinky hue. There is water, just crystal clear water boiling up out of the earth. There's this, you know, just beautiful, like a, a mist over that hot spring. I get in the hot spring and sure enough, it was about three o'clock in the afternoon. The sun had gone behind the de Cristo Mountains and everything was like covered with like rose gold. I mean, It was like something out of a magazine. It was... Spectacular. And so I just kind of sunk into that water and I thought this is like my, I mean, this is like my jam. I mean, this is just incredible. I could feel the stress dissipating for like 45 seconds. Cause then I heard other voices coming from the locker room. And I could tell the other women in the locker room were probably tourists not from America because they were speaking Portuguese. Now, I can't speak Portuguese, but I can kind of hear it because I have quite a few friends from Brazil. And I thought, oh, I bet you there's some Brazilian girls in the locker room. Sure enough, maybe 30 seconds later, door opens of this beautiful teak locker room and here comes three gorgeous Brazilian women. And um, I don't really know how to say this in Bible study. they had not taken advantage of the rental suit program. (laughs) And so it's just, it was a, a, a tremendous amount of Brazilian coming at me. And they got into the hot spring, which y'all up until that moment had seemed like plenty big enough. I mean, it was like maybe 10 feet by six. I mean, it was plenty big enough until these three other women get in. And I guess their jobs in South America involved gymnastics or cert du Soleil because they just start doing flips and twirls. And, and it's just a tremendous amount of of, women in the hot tub and it was just a women's only area. Nobody else was seeing this, but still I'm very modest and that's just a lot to see. And you know, you can't, not see it. It's like, help, 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 help. And so I was kind of pressing myself back into the rock of this of this spa. It wasn't like Moses, God didn't pass by. I don't think God wants credit for this. But I realized I, the steps are on their side. Like I can't get out. I am trapped in this birthday suit, hot spa thing. I mean, it was just horrible. And then all of a sudden one of the girls just gestures at me and starts dying laughing. And I thought, no, that's hateful. You know, we don't do that in the United States of America. We don't bully people. Well, the other two girls just start roaring, laughing. Pretty soon, all three of them are howling at my expense. And I thought, that's just like, that kind of hurt my feelings. And the one who started it looks up, and I guess she could tell by my expression that she kind of hurt my feelings because she went, oh, no, no. And then in real broken English, she said, we know, make fun of you, 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 you. Much poke out. And I looked down, um, at which point, evidently the metal in that bodice had reacted with the steam and it just, it had caused this spectacular jutting kind of, it was just like, la la! I mean, it is a wonder somebody didn't lose an eye. It was just, it was really fantastical in a scarring kind of way. And I thought of that story tonight when we were praying about this Bible study. And I know this is a stretch to try to make this biblical, but I thought, I think I can. I think I can make poking out biblical, turn to Philippians chapter two, because Paul doesn't use that exact language, but it's pretty close. Philippians chapter two, verse 14, Paul says, "'Do all things without grumbling or questioning "'that you may be blameless and innocent, "'children of God without blemish, "'in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, "'among whom you shine, you shine as lights in the world, "'holding fast to the word of life, "'so that in the day of Christ I may be proud.'" that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering. Upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I don't know if you can see it, but I think Paul is advocating poking out there. I think Paul is saying, we're not supposed to blend. We're not supposed to be so consumed with amassing followers on social media that we forget to pour passion into following the one and only true God. If you actually study this book, you'll find that of course there are parameters for our good in God's glory. There are guidelines for, for holy living, like not having sexual intimacy outside of the sacrament of marriage not holding on to bitterness because it'll poison us from the inside out, making bold requests to our Creator, Redeemer. There are parameters in this supernatural love story for holy living, but this is not a punitive book. This book is filled with promise. And we will, if we will actually order our lives by God's word, we will stand out in this generation. We will poke out, in my hope, redemptively as women who know that they're loved and we are so secure in the love of God that we are able to slosh some measure of the grace that's been lavished upon us to the people we get to rub shoulders with, that we don't equivocate and say, I'm not sure, but we go, no, I stand in the confidence that I'm dearly loved by the creator of the universe and his love for me will not fade and it will not fail so I don't have to act like a little girl. I can be a mother in the house of God, whether I have children or not. I want you to head to the left to Matthew's gospel because I wanna look at a few passages that in the last couple of years in my life, they have just kind of poked out. I missed them initially. I didn't see the miracle initially, even though I've been studying God's Word since I was a kid. And that's the amazing thing about the Bible, y'all. It never gets boring. This isn't a book to memorize. This isn't a textbook. This is a book that you you drink in. And it changes I'm telling you, there'll be stories I've read a thousand times and I go back to it and I go, oh my goodness. There's this new truth I didn't see before. It's like this multifaceted diamond. You hold it up to the light and you just see more and more and more beauty. I'm convinced now more than ever before that God gave us this for our good. He gave us this not to keep us in line, but to keep us in love with Him. Matthew chapter 18. If your brother, this is beginning with verse 15. If your brother sins... Against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every change may be esta- charge, may be established. By the evidence of two or three witnesses, if he refuses to listen to him, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. When I was about 13 years old, I was in the eighth grade. I went to a youth conference. I grew up in central Florida. This was in Orlando. There are four or five hundred kids at this youth conference. And I remember the keynote speaker to this day because he was really passionate. He was a youth pastor, very fiery. He swung his Bible around. You ever seen people who do that? I tried to swing my Bible around in my 20s and one time I hit a woman with Genesis. It <laughs> flew right out of my Bible and smacked this woman on the front. But I thought that's what made you powerful. You know, as a, as a communicator of God's word, I thought you had a swinging around. And this guy was swinging his Bible around and when he got really, really passionate, the, the, neck started, the, the veins in his neck started poking out. I mean, we were all leaning in. And he used that passage right there as his main text. And he said, right here it says, any of you kids who've been heavy petting, we're supposed to kick you out of fellowship. And I thought, heavy petting? <laughs> you know, I was 13. I'd never heard that term before. How many of y'all are over 40 and you're Baptist? Y'all know what it means, don't you? (laughs) I didn't know at 13 and I remember sitting there and I was just so scared of the veins in the swinging Bible that I thought, you know, I always feel like I'm gentle with our dog, but maybe, maybe when I was sitting there watching television, I've rubbed her fur the wrong way and, and somehow unwittingly wounded our, our family pet. I thought that's what he meant. That's not what he means by heavy petting. He was talking about when kids you know start making out before they're married, but he used this passage in a very pejorative manner manner. I mean, I just kind of visualize there is a grease tube and there's a lid over the top. And if I involve in heavy petting or or something like that, I'm going to step on the tube and go straight to the hot place, you know, H-E double hockey sticks. And that's what I thought it was. I thought we've got to be scared of this book. That's not even what Matthew intended. I mean, it's right here in black and white. This is actually not a pejorative passage. Do you remember what Matthew's vocation was before he became a traveling evangelist? He's a tax collector. Matthew's telling the story. And he says, if somebody doesn't respond right away when you go to him and say, honey, you're walking the wrong way, you're just right my line of vision says so you got to be my prop right now. You're walking in the wrong direction. You need to come back and walk closely with Jesus. If they don't respond right away, you go with two more. And then he said, if they don't respond, then you treat them like, as a Gentile and tax collector. Do you want know Gentile means in the Greek? Just somebody who's not Jewish. Somebody who's not Jewish. A tax collector is what Matthew was before he began walking with Jesus. Do you remember the wee little man in the sycamore tree? Mm-hmm. Remember Zacchaeus? Do you remember that Jesus invited himself over to have lunch with Zacchaeus? And he didn't even... Preach systematic theology. Jesus just spent time with that tax collector. And do you remember Zacchaeus' response? He was so undone by the love of Christ that he repented. And he said, I'll pay back up to four times anything that I have stolen or gained through deceitful measures. He was so undone by the time he spent with Jesus. Do you really think Jesus meant for this passage to be used as a club? Or do you think since he says Gentiles, and if you study the Gospels every single time, Jesus encountered a non-Jew, he loved him every single time. And he went to lunch with Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus gave his heart to Jesus and Matthew is part of his inner circle. Do you really think he meant that passage to club us over the head or do you think maybe we've missed it? Do you think maybe perhaps Jesus was saying, make your arms wider. If somebody is being rebellious, love them harder, even if it's hard. There are certainly passages that apply to church discipline, but I don't think this was ever intended to be a punitive passage. I think it was always intended to encourage us to love hard people that are starting to walk away from church wounded. Wouldn't that be a novel approach? If people who have been wounded in a community of saints are actually pursued by the saints who wounded them. Yeah. Yep. Wow, couldn't that cause revival? Mm-hmm. Head backwards to the book of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah. This is a, another passage that has poked out to me because I so misunderstood it for so many years. Isaiah chapter cha- chapter 3, verse 12. My people infants are their oppressors and women rule over them. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. That certainly sounds like Isaiah is a male chauvinist, doesn't it? Sounds like he doesn't like kids at all. This is kind of like the the rape passage we looked at earlier and how much more in Deuteronomy 22. And because at first glance, it seems so scary, we're tempted to leave it in the closet of assumption instead of dragging it into the light of proper context. Head to the right, and I'll give you some proper context for Isaiah 3. Head to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, and this is chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2, excuse me, beginning with verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. You pair that with Isaiah. And doesn't it sound like women and kids are being subjugated? Y'all, we don't get the context. I know I'm hammering this point hard and how much more, but I just have seen too many daughters leaving Christian culture because they don't understand passages like that. And they have been misled into believing that God is a misogynist who prefers his sons over his daughters and his children. And that's not at all what Paul's saying there. The context of this passage the best way I can explain it is a scholar that I've studied recently. And this man is, his name is Dr. William Webb. If you have a chance to study him, he's a, a scholar from Texas. And boy, he's, he's got some rich stuff about the goodness of God and the authority of Scripture and how it is always redemptive, ultimately. He says, in ancient cultures like Isaiah's, both women and children shared similar liabilities. The lack of knowledge and education, less social exposure, and breadth of experience, and a significant marital age difference. He goes on to explain that so many of the women that they're talking about in Scripture, they get married at 12. And guess how old their husbands are? Usually in their 30s. And so what they're saying is women and children don't have the wisdom that a man has. Well, no. Not when you've got a 12 or 13-year-old little girl marrying a businessman. This is not a misogynistic passage. It's not punitive. There's actually protection here. He's saying, I want my daughters to mature. I want my daughters to learn who they are, to learn how much I love them before they step out into leadership. I want you to head to, um, to the right to Hebrews And this may be one of the most um, misinterpreted passages in the New Testament. And I memorized this about the time that that guy scared me at that youth conference. I used to have a poster with this verse on it in my high school bedroom, Hebrews chapter 4. I bet some of y'all have memorized this as well. If you grew up in conservative culture, I bet you've cross-stitched it. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. How often have you heard somebody say the Bible is a two-edged sword? You heard people say that? What's so interesting about that passage, because the Bible's true, and before I step on y'all's toes, I wanna remind you I am a world-class, not world-class in my giftedness, which is world-class in my passion, Bible-banger. I mean, I love the Word of God. I love God's Word. I believe that it is authoritative. I believe in the veracity of this book. I believe every word was breathed by God. I love it from cover to cover. I hope to spend the rest of my life raving about how much I love this supernatural love story. But I got it wrong, you <laughs> Hebrews was written between 60 and 70 A.D. and it was actually preached first as a sermon before it was written as an epistle. Do y'all remember who was being preached to? Young talk back. It's a group of Jewish believers. And you remember they were really struggling in their faith. And so their pastor, we don't know for sure who he was. Some people argue for Pauline authorship. Some say it was Priscilla and Aquila. We, we don't know for sure who wrote it. My money's on Luke, but we don't know for sure. Um, the author is anonymous, but we know definitively that he was a pastor and he was a shepherd. He loved his congregants. And so when they're really struggling and some of them were saying, I just want to give up the whole Jesus part of my story. This is too hard. I'm being marginalized. I'm being persecuted. People are telling me that I'm narrow-minded and unkind. Any of y'all heard that lately? They said, we just don't know if we can hang on to the Jesus part. We'll go back to just being Jewish. We'll go back to just believing in Jehovah because then we were marginalized, but we weren't persecuted the way we're being persecuted to be Christians. And he comes to him with a sermon and he says, Oh, no, 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 <laughs> no. Once you've experienced Jesus, you can't go back to the law. Jesus is greater than the law. And he talks about the supremacy of our Savior. And then he talks about the accessibility that he is the king of all kings, and he's so close you can lean against his breast like John did. It's a miraculous book written between 60 and 70 A.D. What's so interesting about that dating is between 60 and 70 A.D., scholars will tell you there are probably only two other epistles being circulated probably the book of Galatians. Scholars argue that that was probably the first book circulated in our New Testament. It was written somewhere between 58 and 60 A.D. I'll also tell you that we didn't get a a compilation of New Testament epistles until 200 A.D. with Church Father Origen. I'll also tell you that we didn't have an entire compilation of the New Testament epistles until Athanasius in 367 AD. And our New Testament was not canonized, fancy word that just means it was made into a book, until 393 AD at the Council of Hippo. So, could that shepherd have been talking about a leather bound Bible when he said, The word of God is sharper than a two edged sword when we didn't have leather bound Bibles between 60 and 70 AD? Kind of blows your hard drive, right, doesn't it? Yeah. Makes you feel like you're in a hot tub with a couple people you wish you were wearing babies I mean, it's just, it's vulnerable. It's like, don't be messing with that. I mean, that's kind of one of my pillars. Let me tell you, it's better. It's so much better than we've believed. Head backwards to John's gospel, John chapter 1. I love the beginning of John's gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels, and that's a fancy word that just means they're similar in their literary format. Synoptic basically means seen together. John's different. There's this Warmth in John, he he doesn't have a birth narrative like Luke. He doesn't use parables like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But the beginning of his gospel, his euangelion, that's where we get the word gospel from. It means the good news. Man, it is incredible. He says... The word he uses there for Jesus is logos. It's the very same word used in Hebrews 4.12. What that shepherd is saying is Jesus is sharper than a two-edged sword. Jesus is your hope. Am I saying that this isn't supernatural? No. I'm saying when you segregate Jesus... Lagos, from inscripturated revelation, Lagos, this book loses its power. That's why our culture says, it's just another book. It's a collection of morality tales. That's just an ancient literature about a religion, no. It's not just ancient literature. It's not a collection of morality tales. This is Lagos. This is life. When you segregate, segregate Jesus from this book, you don't get the power, y'all. Jesus is on every single page, he's in every single story. It's not about studying a book so we can be spiritual. It's life. Yeah. It's the way that we have freedom, it's the way that we have life. Before I started the adoption process with Missy. It took me a long time to even think that I had the right to tell an adoption agent that if there was a kid who was probably gonna die if somebody didn't step into their story, that maybe, just maybe, I'd be a better option than death. Um, Took me a long time to get there. Y'all, that's why I'm so passionate about baby sisters. I do not want y'all to make the same mistakes that I did. I don't want you to find liberty as late as I did. I want you to stay so in the Word of God that you're so undone by Jesus that you don't stay covered by shame like I did for far too long. I could tell you so many of those verses, but I didn't see the life in them. It was just legalism to me. It wasn't life. The very first call I got about the possibility of an adoption was a friend who had met a little girl who was a prostitute and a hardcore crack addict. Mm through her ministry and this little girl, I call her Marie, that's not a real name. Uh, she had gotten pregnant by one of her Johns, probably the same John that broke her jaw. And uh, because of my friend's relationship with this little girl, it was just miraculous that Marie decided not to abort uh, the baby that she was carrying. Um, and then I felt like it was a, another miracle that she chose me to be the mama of her unborn baby. And that didn't happen. Um, it was a hard, hard, eviscerating loss. I um, feel like God used the pain of that loss to prepare me for Missy. Not that it was divinely causative, but when He, when he tenders your heart with hardship and trauma, if you'll lean into Jesus, Man, that becomes really fertile soil for a miracle. But anyway, the first time this precious kid who I just, she became like my daughter. Um, She was the age, she could have been my daughter and her backstory is just atrocious. Had been uh, trafficked uh, in a heroin ring when she was a baby and she was mentally disabled because of the trauma she experienced from the time she was born until she was four years old. And so when she invited me into the crack house where she lived to see where she slept, it was a big deal. She didn't trust easily. And I walked into the crack house and I walked back to this tiny little closet really that was Marie's room. It's where she entertained guests. And there was just this tiny little twin bed I don't know if there's anything smaller than a twin. It looks smaller than a twin to me, but just this little narrow mattress. Um, Old, no bedding. And then there's this one little um, side table broken. Looked like it was probably, she had probably gotten it from a thrift store and this little pottery lamp that was cracked. And there was one picture on that table, kind of the only sign of life in that sad little room. And it was a five by seven and it was a picture of laughing Jesus. Have y'all ever seen that picture? Um, it's a picture, you know, it's an artist's rendition, of course, but Jesus has his head thrown back and he's laughing. And I remember the first time I saw that picture thinking that it was heretical. Cause you know, I had seen so many pictures growing up of like serious, angry Jesus, you know, where he either looks mad or he looks weak and he always looks German, you know? <laughs> He's always fair with blonde hair, which is so interesting since God made him Jewish. <laughs> but this, this one picture is probably much more accurate because Jesus has olive skin and he's got dark hair, which is probably more like what he looks like as incarnate Christ. But he's got his, his head thrown back laughing. And that was the picture on Marie's nightstand. And I wanted to talk to her about Jesus, but because her mind was broken, I had to be real careful and talk with her like I was talking to a child, even though she was carrying what I thought was gonna be my child. And I said, "Um, Marie, do you know who that is, honey? And she said, yes, he's the man who came to my window. And I said, what are you talking about, baby? And she said, one night when I was gonna kill myself, she said, that man, came to my window and I said he did and she goes uh-huh that man came to my window right there and he came to my window and he said Marie I love you don't take your life you matter to me she goes that's my best friend his name is Jesus wow. Wow. y'all you can forget everything I've said in these six sessions, I've heard teachers that are much more eloquent than me, much more effective than me, better at exegesis than me. I don't mean to sound unkind, but I don't care if you remember what's fallen out of my mouth. I care deeply that you don't miss Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. Jesus is on every page. This isn't flat text. It's supernatural. And if you'll take the time to actually read these stories to recognize, this is my story. This is the miracle He's written me into. This is how He's rescued me. This is how He has redeemed me. This is how He's lifted shame off me and given me a purpose and a destiny. That's the how much more, the how much more Is Jesus he sees you he loves you you matter to him he's closer than your next breath don't study this so that you can sound smart don't study this so that you can prove that your friends are wrong when they say they don't think Jesus is the only way study this because you want to be loved and you want to love the world around you and tell them the truth that Jesus is real, that Jesus loves them, for the Bible tells us so. Jesus, 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 Jesus. You are sharper than a two-edged sword. You are kind and you are good and you are perfect and you became Emmanuel, God, with us. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, eviscerate our hearts in the best way with that truth that you're not a faraway Savior but you are an up-close personal Redeemer that we can lean into and be surrounded by and be rescued by yeah. Jesus forgive us when we become so oh I don't know just so grown that it's not for our good that we forget how desperate we are for your grace every single day, how desperate we are for your presence every single day. Lord, re-gospel us. Give us a hunger and a thirst for your presence through your word that changes us and quite possibly changes the world around us because hopefully they will look at us and go, that woman has been with Jesus. We love you, we praise your holy name. You are our hope, you are are our peace. We love you, Jesus, amen.
0: Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at Ed Heineman. Use the hashtag Marked Podcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at lifewaywomen.com podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time.